thank you, Rob and band, for leading us in our worship tonight. Um, if you are not a regular to encounter on um, a Sunday evening, uh, you're very welcome. That wasn't really what I meant to say, but you are welcome, particularly Wade. We welcome people from Manchester, even from Manchester. Don't you? Um, we're going through one John. <coughs> not all of it tonight. Uh, we're at chapter 3. Uh, and we're looking at the first 10 verses of 1 John 3. Uh, and uh, our passage is subtitled, Walking as a Child of God. So let's read this together. If you've got a Bible handy, you might like to turn to it. If it's one of the church Bibles, it's on page 12, 1226, if that helps you. Uh, 1226. 1 John 3, first 10 verses. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Wow. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Um, fairly briefly, strange for me, but fairly briefly tonight, I want to bring three points after an introduction. So you know where we're going. I'm not going to say this is point one, this is point two, this is point three, so it's up to you to work them out. Consider yourself in a situation like this. 
you have decided to become a member of the National Trust. Or you have decided to join the local golf club. Uh, or you might have decided to join a company of revered people who are a bit more high and mighty, so you joined Rotary. And if that's no good for you, ladies, what about the WI? Okay, so whatever it is, you decide to join because you, well, whatever reason you decide to join them, you get a membership ticket. Does that membership ticket actually make you feel any different? Maybe a degree of satisfaction? Maybe you are in with the crowd that you want to be in with? But does it change your life? I would venture to suggest that it has little impact on the way you think, the way you feel, and your future actions other than going to the meetings. Then put yourself into this mindset. You and I are just ordinary folks. And we are, by and large, apart from Kate, a lot younger, oh, apart from Ethan and Scarlett, a lot younger. Okay? And we're at university, or just out of university. And our paths happen to cross with an eligible member of the royal family. Instance, Kate Middleton. And we fall in love. And they fall in love with you. And before you know where you are, wedding bells chime, and you become a member of the royal family. How would that impact your life? Would it make you feel any different? Would it change the way you think, the way you act, what you say, where you go, how you dress? I'm suspecting that if we suddenly got transferred into the royal family, not that we earned our right to be there, just, but just because eyes met and hearts pumped and it all worked out okay, that our lives would be totally, totally changed. If anything, they would probably be transformed. And in a sense, what 1 John 3 is all about is the transformation of being transferred into a different family. I touched on this when I led the prayer meeting back in March, of what it means to be called a child of God. a child, a son, a daughter of Almighty God. Does the truth of that actually ever dawn on us? And as we were thinking last Sunday morning, sorry to keep reminding you of what I've said, but as we were thinking last Sunday morning, it's all because of this agape love that God has 
poured, poor word, poured upon us in our direction. And as we thought last Sunday morning, the word agape really is more to do with gushing, uncontrollable flow, like a burst water main, that flows in our direction, individually, to you and to me, from God the Father's throne, we are caught up in the agape love of God. It's not brotherly love between fam- within the family, or even the love between a husband and a wife, a boy or a girlfriend. That's Philadelphia, that's a different sort of love. This is the love that is immeasurable, that flows from the heart of God to you and to me. And every one of us, let me say it again, every single one of us, whatever we think about ourselves, is valued and precious and of great worth in God's sight. Not just in the future, but now, every moment of every day. And so you and I, if we are transferred into the kingdom of God by coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are transformed being transformed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, our elder brother. So we are called to live as children of the King. And verse 2 tells us that we should become reflections of him. It's true, you know, that if you spend long enough in somebody's presence, there will be something about that person that will rub off on you. Um, You may have heard me give this illustration before, and forgive me if you have, but others won't have heard it. When I was an articled pupil to one of the partners in the firm, I spent almost every minute of every day, five days a week, in his company. And I have to say, in his deference, uh, whilst he was not necessarily my cup of tea in some ways, um, I learned a huge amount from him. There came a day when I walked along the corridor into the secretary's office, and whatever she was doing, she shouldn't have been doing, because with a great rustle of papers and a red face, as I walked in, she said, Oh, it's you. She said, I thought it was Mr. Dance." I said, have I been with him that long that I actually walked down the corridor like he walked down the corridor? I'm sure um, it was probably her conscience that acted as much against her as anything else. Um, Certainly um, not my my gate along the corridor, but um, it's funny, isn't it? You can spend time in somebody's presence, you can get to know them that well, that you can take on, in a sense, what they stand for, what they are, their identity, the way they walk, move, talk, etc., etc. And I will never forget that instance in my early days of working as uh, an illustration of this particular point. So how does walking as a child of God show itself? Well, it shows itself in victory over sin. That's what verses 4 to 9 are all about. And it shows shows itself in love for others. And that's what verses 10 to 18 are all about. But we're not looking at 10 to 18 tonight. 
The Christian life is a process of aiming to be more and more like Jesus. It's a process of aiming to be more and more like Jesus. And the danger is, my friends, the danger is that when we get so far into our Christian life, we actually lose that aim. Let me put it another way. Are you going to aim tomorrow to be more like Jesus than you were today? It's a process of becoming, identifying as a child of the King. And the more time that we spend in his presence, the more we shall become like him. That process will not be complete until we see him face to face. Second part of verse 2. We will never get there in this life. But it will become complete when we see him face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Until then, we may be a poor reflection of him. See through a mirror, a glass darkly, is what 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says. But we strive to improve. At least I hope we strive to improve. If you stopped striving to become more like Jesus, then just look at yourself again in the light of all that God did for you in him. In Christ. When we were in New Zealand, uh, we went and saw a lake called Lake Matheson. It was known as the Mirror Lake. And you had to, so you had to be there before 10 o'clock in the morning to see it at its best. And so we duly did as we were advised. Uh, and we went. Lake Matheson... Um, has a backdrop of conifer trees behind which are snow-capped peaks. And as you walk right round the lake to the opposite side and you look across the water, what you see in the water is identical to what you see up there. No distortion whatsoever. That's why it's called the Mirror Lake. And if you take a photograph of that view and you were then to turn the camera upside down, you wouldn't actually know which way round it was supposed to be. It is that detailed in terms of being an exact replica. And as we looked at that, that spoke to me about what our lives ought to be in terms of a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. And I can't speak for you and I wouldn't speak for you, but I know very well that my life does not match up to absolute perfection as a reflection of Jesus.
And if that is true for you, then it would motivate us to do two things. It would motivate us to purity and holiness, free from the corruption of sin. Free from the corruption of sin. See, abiding in him is equal to a transformed character. And it's interesting that in New Testament scripture you will find three other, at least three other references. Uh, they all say almost exactly the same thing. It's 1 Timothy 5.22, it's James 4.8, it's 1 Peter 1.22, and it says, Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Be holy. It's a command. It's not an optional extra. It's a command. We are asked to play our part in becoming people whose nature is holiness. And if we do our part, God will do his part. He does the purifying. For no one who lives in him, verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. If we do that willfully or nonchalantly or even just inadvertently, we are making light of the grace of God and all that it cost him to be the sacrifice in Christ for our sins. There is a difference between committing and continuing. The person who continues in sin, having tasted of the grace of God, is not sorry for the sin that caused Jesus to die. And so, says uh, John, he, she is in opposition to God. Verse 6 says, as if you'd never known him. How tragic that you and I can add to Christ's sufferings. Particularly if we do it willfully. So we aim for perfection in every aspect of our lives. We won't attain it this side of heaven's gate. But one day, all that will change. Verse 3, that's the hope, that's the promise. But we need so much the strength and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. When I was just reflecting on this, these ten verses of 1 John 3, I turned to a book uh, by Tom Wright, um, whose writings I value very much, uh, about uh, these letters, these later letters, um, not chronologically, but as they appear in New Testament. And he says this, I'm going to quote, we're playing a different piece of music now. And even if our fingers slip and we play some wrong notes, notes that belong to the music that we used to play, that doesn't mean to say that we're going back to play that old music for real once again. So we should make every effort now to be pure and to be holy as he is. What a challenge is that? 
But it makes sense. Doesn't it make sense? We are his family. We represent him. We belong to him. We love him. And if you love someone, you want to please them. Furthermore, we're going to meet him. And wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't we want to be as worthy as we possibly could be of the name of Jesus the day we meet him? And then I just want to touch on another aspect of all this, of walking as a child of God. It's to do with our behaviour. We don't need, we don't allow sin to set the tone. That's the natural mode in which we live. So in terms of behaviour, we make the effort to stay out of tempting situations because the tempting situations are generally our point of weakness. So maybe we need to think twice in this pursuit of holiness, think twice about what we watch on television, about where we go, about conversations that we will get drawn into, about how we react to situations, to statements, to attitudes. With the help of God's Spirit, we need to subdue the base instincts in our nature, which don't disappear the day we come to faith. I was staring out of our window the other morning it was a bright sunny morning but it was a cold wind about four mornings ago and at the end of the garden there is a hedge about this high and on that hedge and he comes every morning there is a blackbird who sits on top of the hedge and suns himself. But his feathers are getting ruffled by the wind. And I thought to myself, why ever does that blackbird not get down on the ground, find a sheltered spot and sun himself there? And then I realised why the blackbird would probably not do that through his own instinct. Because although he might prefer it from a point of view of absorbing the sun on his black shiny feathers, he's putting himself into a place of vulnerability. On the top of the hedge, he's safe. And I thought, yeah, that's quite a telling illustration 
that we as Christians seeking to be like the Lord Jesus, pursuing holiness in our lives, should never ever put ourselves in a place of vulnerability. We keep out of danger zones. And if you feel like a cork on an ocean that's out of control completely, unable to um, steer itself in any one direction, because that's the way the world treats us, let me remind you that Paul writes to the Romans, sin will not have dominion over you you will not be its slave you can live victorious lives as Christians overcoming Satan overcoming the devil and all his ways but seeking God's help you see the enemy is always on the prowl isn't he sometimes we can't avoid him but we can be wise Paul said in the Philippian letter, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's his power, it's his wisdom, it's his discernment, it's his strength that enables us to cultivate a mind that is renewed day by day. So love God with all your heart. And love one another. Failure to do that can open a door to many other sins. uh, Which actually points us to much of the rest of the letter. But we're not going there tonight. So let's spend a moment of quiet just reflecting on what we've thought about, what we've heard, our own position. And let's be honest and open with the Lord. And if we're struggling, tell him we're struggling. If you feel like a pawn in Satan's hand, tell him. If you feel powerless over certain situations, tell him. If you think you've tried many, many times and it's not worked, it's like trying to keep resolutions, but they don't stick. If you feel a failure, that the target that you want to be, but you miss it so often, then tell him. Because that's not what he wants. He wants us to be people who can hold their heads high proud to be a child of God.